This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to Las Blancas Podcast. I'm your host, Om Arving. And we are joined today by the OG Grant Little. We are giving Yash Dakur a well-deserved and a really, really well-deserved break. By the way, if you like what he's done on the Las Blancas podcast, which you should, go over to his Twitter account, give him some love. Just let him know how much you appreciate what he's done because, you know, Grant Grant had things to do. He had to step away and Yash just filled in really seamlessly and obviously he's done a brilliant job, but we're extremely happy to have Grant back it has been a while um I mean you were you were on one not too long ago but honestly I don't even remember, remember that one it feels like you haven't been on for a year how's it going my man it's going well I think um I think I've been on once or twice this season and obviously the the wrap-up season and preview stuff but it's been a minute so I'm excited to uh, to talk about a game with a whole lot of goals before we get into it just a disclaimer here because uh like a fool, I spilled water on my laptop, so I don't have it with me at the moment. It's at the repair shop. I'm using my roommate's laptop, kindly giving it to me. But very old laptop, don't actually have the space probably to download the file and do my normal cleaning up and editing. Grant, short for time, he, he subbed in here. I know he has like projects and stuff finished. So there will be editing, but like in a sense let's remove the three, two, one at the beginning and stuff like that. We're not going to comb through this one and remove a lot of the uhs and maybe some pauses that are like a second too long. Just bear with us for this one. This is not going to be a case moving forward. Um, that's, that's just the technical realities we, we have today. All right. So that's out of the way. And we have a pretty fun game to talk about, but also a game that was basically completely different in two different halves. Overall, it was, it was a nice day from other vistas, right? I mean, Real Madrid, the game we're going to talk about, Real Madrid win versus Alaves 7-1. I mean, it was truly just an absolute battering, but only in the second half. And then obviously afterward, the men won uh, a little game called El Clasico, which, which is obviously a nice addition to, to, to the real important victory here, the one over Alaves. And this is... Uh, 
interesting context to the game is that so many, probably a historic number of Real Madrid players were on international duty. We know why, because 15 players signed private letters to the Federation saying they, they would quit. Most of them Barcelona players. We don't need to rehash that. We've talked about it before on the podcast. In both my, my articles recapping the Spain game, I went over the situation or, or the two Spain games. And I think we all know what the stance was, what went down. And look, we also know Real Madrid advised the players not, not to be on the email. And so who who was going to fill in for a lot of those Barca slots? There were players from other clubs, but the majority were Madrid players. We were talking about seven, eight players on the pitch, starting on the pitch in both Spain games. And, and overall, Real Madrid players would log heavy minutes. Caroline Weir played intense minutes for Scotland. Unfortunately, she didn't play her best necessarily versus Ireland. She missed the key penalty and uh, Scotland did not make the World Cup and Ireland did instead extremely important historic result for Ireland. But basically the point is lots and lots of minutes on international break for these players. And Grant, that should kind of give you a little bit of PTSD, right? Because we've seen how Real Madrid play after international breaks and Normally, it's not been very good. I think it was slightly different this time around, but we'll get into that. Um, maybe because of that, you expect mass rotations from Toril, but, you know, like, I, I think he's like, we still need to win this one, right? And he, he only removed a few players here and there. Um, granted, Toledi's injury, she was the one player not available, also meant that, you know, putting in someone for her isn't rotation, right? That was just a forced move. But we had a lineup of Nissan Gol, Lucia, Rocio, Ivana, Steva in the back four. Maite, Tere in midfield with Weir. Atene and Feller out wide. Naikari up top. Again, that hybrid 4-3-3, 4-3-3-1, depending on where it is that Weir wants to move with Maite obviously having the freedom to go up and Tere being trusted, which I think all of us are happy about, to be basically a pivot player in possession a lot of the times. Grant, I would assume you don't have too many concerns with that lineup. I mean, you had a couple key players like Olga, who didn't start. Esther, I guess we could call a starting striker, but Naikari has started the season so well, I would say it's even competition between them at this point. And then the, the other big name was Zornoza, who was on the bench. What did you think of uh, of the lineup in a couple of those rotations? Yeah, I think it's to be expected. It's a long season coming off an international break. Thought it was a pretty strong 11. I think at the moment, I would have a hard time figuring out what the best 11 is because we just have a lot of quality players and trying to slot them into places where they're playing as a coherent team and playing the best Real Madrid soccer. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure if we found that quite yet. But on paper, I mean, this is a team that should be able to win pretty much every game other than a Barcelona in Primera or Liga FA now. Sorry, I'm, it's going to take me some time on that one. But um, yeah, I think this is a very strong 11. And you come in with this lineup expecting to win the game pretty much every time if you're Real Madrid. Yeah, and Alaves are... Uh... Look, they're not particularly a great team. Uh, I've, I've watched every league game so far this season for every team, barring 
these two match days where I, I, I couldn't watch two games at the same time. So I missed two of the uh, the first games for, for Saturday, Sunday, and I just picked the other one. I'll obviously get to those. And Olivez, not particularly good. I have them in my bottom three teams in the league so far this season. But one thing that stood out to me is, especially versus Atleti, they, they look respectable defensively given the the difference in quality they really dug in deep they really had an organized deep block and it wasn't until near the end where Atleti started to create some big chances and kind of ran away with with whatever the xg might have been so I 100% thought Real Madrid were winning this game but my thinking going into this was international break Alaves look relatively better versus bigger sides because they do the one thing that they're okay at doing, which is sitting deep and being defensively organized. Sometimes they go with the back five, although they went with like a 4-4-2 block versus us, which I think was a mistake. They probably should have gone back five, but whatever. The, the point being that they're generally a, a, a pretty well-organized team, you know, for their context. And I just looked at that and thought, look, I just don't see us blowing us away, blowing them away. I think, I think, we're going to see the slow first half. We'll turn it up in the second half, and then we'll find our way to victory. And maybe the scoreline, if you read it, makes it sort of sound that way. Obviously, not all the goals that happened in the second half, but it maybe looked like I was spot on going into the first half. But I don't think that's exactly true because I thought the first 10 minutes to the game were really sharp. I mean, it was basically all of us in Olivez's half pinning them back not a huge volume of shots, but we had a couple. Naikari got into some dangerous moments. We had a few half chances. There are a couple of moments where maybe Feller could have done a little better with her touch or her, her pass, and it would have created a really big chance. And I, I, I sat back and I was like, it doesn't really look like these players are particularly tired. It was an intense start. I enjoyed it. And I was live tweeting the first 65 minutes of that game before Yash took over. And I, I tweeted... I think the goal is coming soon. And obviously that's the moment where we started not looking as good, but the first 10 minutes, I was like, this doesn't look like a typical post international break game. What do you think about that grant? Are you with me on that one or, or yeah. off? No, I completely agree. I think they started the game. Well, hit the post once or twice, I think with some nice shots, it looked like the team was in a good vibe, moving the ball around quickly, looking to try and take advantage of, you know, mismatches here and there. And I was I was pretty excited about the way that the team came out in the first half. Now, granted, I wasn't watching it live. I watched it on delay, so I knew what happened going forward. But I thought it was a strong start and not the type of play we typically see after international breaks, which was obviously a good thing you know I think the players a lot of them the Spanish ones especially would have come back energized after that international break I mean Spain pulled off two wins versus Sweden the U.S. I think there's a lot of context to add to those but look like the non-Barca players bar Laia Colina who I think was the only Barca player who played although my memories my memories weak there so don't hold me to that um, I mean, they played really well and they showed up on the international stage. And this is, look, it's no surprise to people who follow the league, especially to Real Madrid fans. We know how good all these players are. But like besides Athenea, does like the global Wilson fan base really know who any of those players are? No. And so they kind of stood back and they're like, wow, they're good. And I think they had their moment in the spotlight, a very complicated moment. 
obviously given everything that that was happening in the background. Um, but I, I think they got their moment and probably came back and they're like, yeah, like, look, we're good. Let's go at Alaves. We're feeling good. And naturally, after a really hot start, especially if you don't convert, things slow down a little bit. And the next 10 minutes, they weren't, they weren't so amazing. We weren't progressing to, to, to the, near, the, near the box and, and entering the box at will. It was closer to the halfway line, the edges of the final third. But it basically in control, right? It went from the goal is coming, you know, like maybe two seconds from now to we're probably going to score one by the end of the half. And if we're lucky, two. And game is secure, right? Alaves, maybe up until the 22nd minute, had like two progressions into the into the final third, which may be generous, but nothing really going at all for them, which is which is not a surprise. This is not an offensive team. This is not a team that has a lot of options. They're very one-dimensional in possession. It's win the ball back, go long, hope something happens, try to win a set piece and make something convert from there. And would you know it, 22nd minute, they get a set piece, deep set piece, play a ball into the area. We fall asleep, curling run into the box, and they score. And you're sitting there thinking, well, how on earth was that 1-0? And then the rest of the half just became way more complicated from there. Grant, what do you think about those minutes? Or, or maybe more to the point, what do you think about the defending on that goal? I mean, look, our history with defending set pieces is not, is not particularly great. I think we've improved since the Azdar era, but this certainly doesn't help the case if you wanted to argue that. No, I mean, on that set piece, there was no excuses. It was terrible defending. It was a simple run to the front post. It was a really good header, but just completely unmarked open opportunity after after Alaves hadn't created anything. And I think immediately after that, you saw a team that wanted to get back into the game but by maybe wanting to do it they tried to turn away from the game plan that had been working and they kind of started forcing it down the wings long being less patient being less precise with some of these passes and just overall generally trying to force it and I think because they were doing this this kind of invited transition and you started to see Alaves get some more space and also you started to see us be less effective in the final third especially yeah, and I think that's that's it, right? It was a very frustrating end to that half because, look, it was bad defending. No one is going to want to look at that in the film room after, and maybe because we won 7-1, you know, it's just something you ignore and move on. But it was really poor defending, and we let ourselves down there. And, and it's just like, all right, like, yeah, that's really annoying, but we just have to take a beat and be like, well, we're way better than this team. We looked like we were about to score – you know, a couple of goals at least based on what we were doing, just go back to that. And it also looked like we were under no threat and open play defensively the way we were playing. That's the key thing, right? It was both that we were under no threat and also that we were looking dangerous offensively, which is just the ideal scenario. It's the best of both worlds. Just go back to that, right? But it's natural that when you go down, especially to a team you feel like you shouldn't go down to, there's a sense of urgency. The fans are you know up 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 off their seats urging you on and I, I just think we played into that too much it, it kind of felt like we got rattled by this goal out of nowhere and we just didn't look that good I mean we still had some dangerous moments but 
all of a sudden it was it was like everyone was playing on their own there was no longer a collective sense of how to get into the final third it was all right i need to make a difference now let me play this you know crazy ball over the top into someone going in behind let me take on three players to try to to try to make something happen and it just it wasn't coming together and we just abandoned everything that was right and just kind of gave into this overwhelming sense of urgency that broke down a lot of what we were doing well and I think that's what made the first half not look great I don't think it was anything amazing that all of us were were necessarily doing um, because they didn't change I mean they perhaps became even more conservative defensively because they went one nil up but they were probably playing for the draw anyway right it's it's like we shot ourselves in the foot and this is disappointing in the context of the athletic match where that podcast was just praised back to front with, with Yash I and Isa, who made her debut on the podcast. It, it, it was actually a really good podcast. If you haven't listened to it, go back to it because we got great insight on Athletic. But it was praised back to front for Real Madrid because it was about how we managed the game and how much control we had against one of the best transition-oriented teams in the league, right? It was a very impressive victory in that sense. And this was a different way of testing it, right? That was what happens when you go up a couple goals and there's still a huge amount of the match to play away from home. This was at home. You go down early. How do you still be threatening and dominant without either losing control or being so frenetic that you actually hurt your ability to create chances, right? And Alves got some counterattacks from that, but overall not too dangerous offensively, right? And I feel like we succeeded in that athletic test and we kind of failed here. What do I take away from this? Just that it's still a work in progress. This, this idea of us internalizing the mentality of a dominant team, right? I feel like we're, we're only halfway there. I think we made real progress from where we were last season and the season before, but clearly there's, there's room for growth in terms of that because that wasn't the way to handle handle that situation not that early in the game where there was still so much time left and yeah I mean I I think that's that's the lesson to be to be taken from this um I don't know whether there's going to be any thinking about that because the second half completely changed the the picture of the match entirely and it wasn't necessarily because we changed what we were doing necessarily but yeah I mean it it didn't after that one nil it didn't really feel like we deserved to equalize which versus Alaves was was a shock right because we we really shouldn't we 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 have the talent um now the other thing is maybe international break effects came in after that hot start because um and I was made to regret this after tweeting it but you know I'll, I'll take it um but I didn't think Caroline Weir was particularly good until she just randomly exploded and completely took over the game and then was like all right who cares you know, I was I was amazing in these six minutes and won you the game. But up until that point, I didn't think she was particularly great compared. Again, this is compared to her standards that she set in the previous games with Real Madrid. Like, wasn't necessarily super involved in dangerous areas for Real Madrid. Not necessarily conducting things in the way that we expect. And I, I think that just had an effect because Weir is the player that the number one reason we look at this team and say it's so much better than the one we had last season so you can talk about anything else you want from the from the first half maybe comment on weird performance um 
before she started creating all these goals or, or anyone else's performance in the first half. Yeah, I thought with Weir and with a lot of players in that first half, they were fine. There were moments where they were good. There were moments of like, oh yeah, this is the this is the player that we typically expect. But I thought there was also some tired legs. I think after that initial start and then the kind of emotional roller coaster of the goal and then not being able to pull one back before the half, you start to see just kind of the mental and physical fatigue from the international break from a lot of these players. But I do think that they were able to reset, make a few adjustments heading into the second half and really, you know, flip the game on its head. I mean, seven goals and a half is, is insane. But I will say, and I'm sure we'll talk about it more in the second half, what really stood out to me in a positive way in the first half was some of Terry's long balls and switches of play. Like, I know that every time I come on this podcast, I'm just talking about how great Terry is. But honestly, I think that, you know, she is just a great midfielder. And some of the stuff that she did in the second half to, to get to the goals and the long shots that forced some some key saves. I just think that because of the Barcelona dominance on the Spanish national team, typically without, you know, get, getting into any of the issues, a lot of people don't know who she is, but I hope that at some point, you know, once this issue is passed, she does get a chance to really step in on the Spanish women's national team because she's a great player. I forget how young she is. And I really think that more of more of the the football the Woso community should be talking about Teresa Aviera. All right, second half, and I think we can do this in a way where we hand off the goals to each other because it's there's so many that if each of us spent our time describing each goal podcast would be even longer than usual. Obviously, we can chime in on what we think about them, but maybe we can pass it back and forth. Um, just, just preparing you in advance. If you need to, need to look at some of the stuff, um, I, I will start off with the opening goal. And so, yeah, I, I think it's not like, I don't think Toriel didn't say anything to them at half time. Um, it's just that I don't think it was anything huge strategically, tactically. It was probably like, look, get your, get your head back in the game and go kick their ass. And so we still had, and honestly, I didn't think there needed to be, like this major, huge tactical shift. I just would have liked to see smarter play in possession. But we came out with, I think, it almost looked like an even greater sense of urgency. And maybe the first three or four minutes, I was like, oh man, we're, we're going to do the same thing we did in the, in, in the first half. But it translated to better intensity against the ball. I mean, we were pressing the entire game, but the pressing just became better in the second half. And that's how the first goal was created, or Real Madrid's first goal. High press, Feller wins the ball back. We transition quickly to the left. Alaves completely caught off. I mean, I don't even know how, but like it, they, they become so oriented to the left as they build out. And it was not great rest defense structure, but but whatever, that's that's not important. Like their fullback is just com- like nowhere to be seen. Um, and because we have all these um players in the center we compact them play the ball out to Athenea and a bit of fortune here like first her 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 shot is deflected initially then it goes off of Osinache Ohali in like 
pretty unbelievable manner, almost like she backheels it into her own net. And that was just the start of an absolutely epic collapse. And I mean, just to note here, not to bag on her too much, but we had to suffer some Osinaccio Hale moments for Takon. And it was just, it was just something to see that happen against us when she was playing for the other team. It, it brought back some memories. Anyway, fairly straightforward goal, no grant, but it, it started this avalanche. You can talk about that or you can take us on to, to the next goal, which literally happens like three minutes afterwards. By the way, this was in the 53rd minute. Second goal is in the 56th minute, bridging the 57th minute. And this time Weir was on the score sheet. Yeah, and I think the avalanche is right, but it was also like the avalanche was started and continued by a comedy of poor defending, I think it's fair to say. So in the 56th minute, Terry has this really good turn out of pressure, plays it to Sveva, plays this little vertical ball that's intended for Caroline Weir. It kind of bounces around after Weir's initial touch and falls right at her feet, and she's able to dink it over the keeper. It's a really great finish, but again, poor defending and good fortune allowed Weir the chance after some decent buildup. But there's this pattern that I that I saw in a lot of the goals, and I'm sure we'll talk about it more as it comes, but the left side of the field, it, I mean, it was like there were no defenders over there. Like Sveva and Olga and all these players, whoever was occupying the space in that channel, just had acres on acres to run into in some of the worst defending I've seen in a pretty long time. So the goals kept coming from that side of the pitch. Yeah, and like literally right after, we're talking about the restart, we we score again. And it is Maite who makes a tackle in midfield. Naikari receives between the lines there everyone's away and again the fullback is just caught so far up the pitch this time it's kind of understandable but my goodness and and this was this was actually a theme even coming in the first half every time Alaves played into midfield it was a disaster they just could not retain the ball there I mean our pressing was good but it was just like don't even try to play into your your deeper players. Because every time you do that, you're playing into a congested center. You lose the ball, and that's the worst place to lose the ball besides the goalkeeper itself, which or 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 the center back, which happened for one of the goals. And it just they just kept losing it, and it was just like fullbacks caught up the pitch, four versus three, four versus, and it was just bad. Anyway, Maite wins the ball up. Naikari receives, and from there it, it's pretty simple decision making. Puts it out to Weir. And it's a very nice finish as the goalkeeper tries to come out, come out to close down the angle. And it's 3-1. And it just, I, I, I couldn't believe my eyes. Like, literally within five minutes, 3-1. Like, the game has completely changed. And it looks like Alaves just, how are they even going to hold on, was my question. And the answer was, was that they didn't. But they basically got mentally destroyed by that goal. And... Um, Look, like there was some debate about this on Twitter, which was just very bizarre to me. But uh, I mean, it's really obvious Oliver's defended poorly. I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, it was it was really bad defending. But here's the thing: Real Madrid last season, the season before, and certainly in the City Tacon years, would not have won this game seven one. They would not have scored seven in the second half against eleven players on the pitch even with that type of poor defending, it probably would have been a 3-1 or 4-1 win. 
at most. The fact that we were able to capitalize on such poor defending and put away seven goals was kind of like Barcelona stuff. We're not as good as Barcelona, not yet. We'll get there, not yet. But that was the sign of a team who's just so much better than, al- than almost every other team in the league. And really, Barca's the only one that's better than us. Atleti's the only one talent-wise kind of close. Maybe you can include Levante in the conversation, who, by the way, we're playing next, and they are an offensive machine. We'll talk about them um, um, later because I think they're really good. But we're just we're, we're on a different level. And this proved it in the sense that when you give us opportunities, we're going to destroy you. That's what great teams do. But the opportunity was provided because Alaves were defending abs like hilariously bad. And look, that that surprised me because they were not like that versus Atleti. I think the speed at which we came at them, the intensity of the press, all of that, the atmosphere, you know, at home versus us, it affected them. And I think it's just really easy to both hold the fact that all of us were terrible. And this says lots of good things about Real Madrid because it's just true that no other version of this team in the past would have won this way. We won this way because we're really good. And that's what good teams do. Bad teams don't take advantage of bad mistakes and win 7-1. Anyway, that was 3-1. And yeah, if you can believe it, more goals were scored after that. There were more goals after this point than there had been up until this point. And we were in the 58th minute or so, having already scored three. So hand this back off to you. I mean, maybe, I don't know if you want to talk about any moments in between we can because we kind of do have to wait a little bit for the context of this game it was like we had to wait ages for the fourth goal to come but uh there were Toril was like three one up great let me let me sub everyone off right because Maite Feller come on um followed by Naikari and and um uh, sorry pulled off Maite and Feller this is this is the 5:45 a.m. wake up getting pulled off my team feller followed shortly by night and we're two two pairs of stubs and Tonoza Olga came on for my team feller Esther Muller came on for night car we're and you're probably like we're going to get one more goal right then Esther is like nah everyone's praising Naikari. they're saying Naikari's back i haven't scored in the league this season and you know what i scored versus the USA Maybe it's my time now. And she went absolutely ballistic from the 71st minute onwards. So uh, let's start with 4-1. Hand off to you, Grant. Yeah, I mean, this is just bad set-piece defending. I know it sounds like we're just... Yeah, it was. It was. There's no other way to describe it. But why do you set, hate? Why do you hate Real Madrid, man? It, it, this is just bad, bad, bad set-piece defending. And then, like, not only was it terrible set-piece defending you don't mark the most dangerous player on the pitch in the box. And uh, Ivana challenges for the ball. It falls to a completely unmarked S there who just absolutely makes no mistake. Super, super clinical finish. And like she was just getting started. All right. We can, we can move on to five one now. Still plenty of goals to get to. And uh, maybe Grant's a little jealous that I get this one because this one is, is all about Tere Abellera. Another transition situation, again, exploiting Alaves's right back. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful ball from deep to Olga Carmona, who's come on. And uh, what is he? I mean, we, we, we can't have enough praise for the amount of 
came out. We've talked about her on this podcast and the leap she's taking. It was before we even started talking about Apinea because this goes back to Olga the last season. And just it's it's so easy for her. It just goes into space, takes it down beautifully off the chest, squares it across, and there it is, Esther for an extremely high value chance to make it five one. And again, it's just it's like a secondary avalanche, right? It's it's like you have the I don't know, I'm just using a lot of natural disaster uh, metaphors here, but you know, you have the first earthquake, then you get the aftershock, and this was the aftershock because 72nd minutes, it's uh, it, it becomes 4-1. 73rd minute, it becomes 5-1. And then in the 81st minute, Grant, we have 6-1. Yeah, and I mean, you could probably use a natural disaster <laughs> metaphor to talk about this one too. Because, wow. This is just a goal kick that the keeper plays out wide. And the defender tries to return it to the goalkeeper for whatever reason with Esther sprinting at them. And Esther just picks it off and slots it into the back of the net. Hat trick. She's running around like a crazy person celebrating the hat trick. And Olives is just standing there like, what has actually happened? Yeah, this was the uh, giveaway I was talking about at at, at, at the back. Um, I missed the initial pass because I was at this point trying to write the immediate reaction. And I thought the goalkeeper gave it up straight away. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. It was slightly better than that, but not much better. And I was like, okay, surely this is the end. Guess what? It was not the end because in the 85th minute, Real Madrid finally ended up getting their, their seventh. And Tede is the one I think who plays it out wide to Seba. Another just beautifully weighted ball and Seba charges down the flank puts one in it's another high value tap in right there in an empty net basically and this time it's Muller who I think really needed that goal because she had had a tough start to the season and and it's been tough for her for a while ever since she hasn't been able to really find a role on the side and look it's Alaves but this supports a lot of evidence we've been talking about in the past especially Yash and I and if I'm remembering correctly Grant was also on board with this it is notable that Muller comes on and she plays centrally. It becomes proper 4-4-2 when Muller comes on and she's playing up top with Esther. And guess what? She's playing off the striker. She's attacking vacant spaces into the box. This is what Caroline Muller hands does best. Moving into the box, getting high value shots, all the better if it's versus a defense who can't defend it. She will guarantee that you get a shot like this. I know that's not going to be people's takeaway from this game. It's, it's, an, it's a takeaway from me because if you want to get value from Muller and you're not seeing it out wide and you're disappointed with the performances, this is where you get it. I understand it's difficult. The introduction of Weir, Naikari's resurgence, like the minutes, the potential for her to play in those types of central positions, they just dried up. But if it's possible, do it and you will see the benefits. And I would say this is the least relevant piece of evidence in all the evidence we have so far but it's another piece of evidence supporting it. So that's all I have to say about that. 7-1, game was not over. We nearly scored another one. Esther was still going for more. She probably wanted 10 goals by the end of the game. But that's it. Final scoreline was 7-1 after that goal. Whistle finally blew much to the relief of Alaves, who will want to forget this game as quickly as possible, as opposed to Real Madrid. And... A couple of notes. Esther Gonzalez 
and I'm going to have to find the tweet as I'm saying it so I can get the exact statistics. But after that happened, this is probably why she was also so hungry. And I, I just knowing Esther, I, I know this, this is at the, the back of her mind. She has become the top goal scorer in the history of Real Madrid Femino. I'm assuming overtaking Aslani. I don't know who else it would be with 24 goals in 43 games. So a bit over a goal every two games, not a bad ratio at all. And look, that's a piece of history right there. And I would assume for a fairly long time within the context of how long Real Madrid Femino has existed, so maybe three, four more seasons, I think she will be the highest, the top goal scorer in history for, for that period of time, which is quite significant. So a piece of history made, some other stats for you, if I'm remembering correctly, I'm not going to go back and find this tweet, but we are seven goals, seven games, and three assists, I think. Just outrageous statistics. Maybe Weir is going to go at such a rate that she overtakes Esther within a couple of seasons. I don't know. But in a game where she just didn't look like her best self for like 53, 50, 52 minutes or whatever the hell it was, to be able to just turn it on and immediately create three goals is insane no matter who it's against and we just never had a caliber of player like this at Real Madrid we've already had a lot of great players at Madrid in our short history we know who they are Cardona, Aslani, Jakobsen Weir is just on a completely different level she is a superstar she's a world-class talent and on her best day and maybe with the right season behind her she could have a Ballon d'Or campaign behind her but my goodness, how lucky are we to have her? How lucky are we that City are as incompetent as they are? How lucky are we that Caroline <laughs> Weir is a Real Madrid fan and looked at us and said, this is the project I want to go to to escape Manchester City. I mean, it's to get a player like her this early in the project, it's just massive. It's going to accelerate things by a full season, which I'm t- like, I don't say that lightly. Like To do that is just... it's. It's massive. I don't know any other word for it. For her to just, I, she, she's, she's taken us to a place where we're, we're really, really damn good now. And the next steps after this is like, how do we fill out the other parts of the squad to get to a, to a position of historical greatness so we can challenge Barcelona? Because we're already at a point where, let's say if you go to the pre-Barcelona era, where, you know, let's, 1819 maybe because Atleti won the league, but let's say before then around that period, we we could win the league with the squad we have now. That's that's how good we are now. And Weir is the biggest part of that. Other parts of that, obviously, as we've talked about many times, Olga taking the leap, Athenea taking the leap, Sandy Toledi, who didn't even play today, but another world-class addition in this midfield. So yeah, I mean, we're we're gonna keep praising her on podcast after podcast, so I can stop it here, but when a player doesn't play amazing and then they create three goals in the span of like two milliseconds, that's how, you know, they're legit. That's how, you know, like, okay, this is, this is a different level of player. And I think literally everyone who watches this, this team knows it in a flash, like, all right, she, she stands in, in a different class all on her own. So I wanted to, to, to just say that about Weir because for some reason, this game out of all the other ones she's played, made me sit back the most and be like, holy shit, I don't know what the logic of that is. Maybe it's because of the contrast between those moments where she created the goals and the minutes that preceded it. 
who else do you want to talk about? I mean, you've already said something about Teddy. I don't know. I don't know if you want to go. I want to. I want to hop in on this train real quick. I think that something like Caroline was always a great player at Manchester City, but I think that you know she's taken a leap here as well. She was not this consistent of a goal scorer at City. She scored some worldies. She scored consistently, but the rate at which she's assisting and scoring goals like she's clearly taken a step up in her game as well as well and I think one of the differences when we talk about you know Aslani or Jakobsen is having a player of that quality be in their prime on the team now I think Aslani was a world-class player and did great things for Real Madrid but I don't think anyone is going to say that she was in her prime at Real Madrid this is a Caroline Weir in her prime playing possibly the best soccer that she's ever played in her career and I mean the team is clearly benefiting and she's benefiting from the environment because right now I think she's one of the best players in the world and you know I'm happy to hop in on any Ballon d'Or campaigns because I think she's just taken it to another level and even me who wanted her to come to Madrid so badly could not have foreseen or predicted the impact that she would have so quickly. Yeah, I mean, Alexia has been confirmed tomorrow or today, whenever you're listening to this podcast, we're recording Sunday night, but Alexia has been confirmed Monday that she wins wins the Ballon d'Or and, and Benzema is going to win it as well. And look, fully deserved. She got injured, couldn't play the Euros, lost the Champions League final. It's not a doubt in my mind that she was the best player last season, not even, not even a shred of doubt. But we're 27 years old, got multiple prime years left on a Real Madrid that theoretically is only rising I think we're going to have one really good shout where Madridistas are I mean they're already trying now but it's not going to work now but there is one moment that will come where I think she will come close and it'll be difficult to say that she doesn't deserve to be in the conversation I mean there's so many great players like if she's still going up against Alexia then it's going to be tough but where is that good right and and I think I think we all know that and it's coming so if that doesn't excite you that that may be on the horizon and you can start pushing all this propaganda because there's nothing we love more as Madridistas, right? Like we've gotten to this cycle, you know, with Benzema, you know, with Ronaldo in the past to do it with the women's team. Like, you know, I, I think that's, that's something that we, we'd really want. It would be huge for the women's team to see the Ballon d'Or right here. That moment is coming. A couple of seasons probably, maybe next season. Um, but the, the, the right materials have to coalesce. That's not how I look at Ballon d'Ors, but we know how it works. So, yeah, fantastic impact from Weir, I think, is the way to phrase it. Anything else we want to talk about in terms of the game itself? Any other performances? I'll just say really quickly, um, Naikari did not score, but I thought she, she had positive performance. And um, I'm just liking where her trajectory is at, at the moment. And right now, even though it's still early, I feel like confident in saying that we have two legit strike options for the season, which was not the case last year. Who else do you want to talk? Yeah, I completely agree. I thought the link-up play, some of the slip-through balls, I thought Naikari had a good game. I also think that um, a huge, not a huge change, but a change that was noticeable to me in the second half was how Ivana started to take her space and almost occupy a a spot alongside Terry in the midfield at some points, progressing the ball and playing some of these more penetrative passes. And I think that 
it wasn't necessarily coincidence that we started playing better in the second half when Ivana started to kind of push the pace of the game and to to bring the ball forward. I thought she was really good in possession in that in that second half. All right, I'm basically done talking about the game. My uh, my brain is faltering here. It's been at this point almost 15 hours. I've been up because I've been up since 5:45 a.m. Um, we good? We good with the game? Yeah, man. Go go to bed. <laughs> I, I'm probably gonna like do sicko shim trying to watch the, the second NWSL playoff game. I don't make smart decisions, but we'll see. Like, there's still a ways to go for that, and uh, I might I might collapse. So we'll see. But uh, looking ahead, Real Madrid, we're back in the Champions League, baby. If if the league's been exciting, we know this is actually our, our competition. And what we did in the competition last season was really the most relevant part of that season. We play Thursday, October 20th, 12.45 p.m. Eastern Standard Time um, against Diaznia. I, I promised I would learn how to say that, but I haven't actually been able to find someone saying it. And I don't know if they're saying it correctly. So if anyone does, you can just at me on Twitter with it. Um, we're going to be playing away from home. We open our Champions League campaign with that. Um, so, so we got a good bit of time because it's Thursday, but here's where shit really heats up and, and rotation has become really important because after that, Levante, and look, I'm telling you guys, Levante are really damn good. I've watched every game bar two this match day, which I'm going to get to. Levante might be better than Real Sociedad this season. I'm saying it now. Like, they're, they're an offensive machine. Like, I am manually tracking the XG for every single game, and the, their ability to create high-value shots is incredible, and a huge reason for this is because of Vaira Ramirez, who we all know, and, and I don't know if you remember Fami because we've talked about her bullying the team when she played for Sporting Belva, and she's better than I even rated her then because I didn't know she could take it to a team like Levante and her skill set would scale up so beautifully because at sporting, yeah, there was a lot of running and behind and stuff, but it was a lot, it was elite ball carrying, right? Just dragging the team up the pitch on the counterattack. And it was like, all right, that, that's a different style of play than if you play a team like Levante who wants to compete for Champions League places. And she's just fitting so seamlessly. Combination play, smarter runs and behind against, against defenses that are deeper. Alba Redondo, very dangerous player. She didn't finish particularly well the last match, but has created big chance after big chance for herself and Natasha Andanova being the player who just kind of stitches together between them. They've had a big coaching upgrade, in my opinion, with Jose Luis Sanchez Vera instead of Angel Villacampa, who we won't say more about. I think everyone knows how we feel about it. Maybe it's good Josh isn't on this podcast because I think he would have he would have lost it just as a mention of his name. Levante are a good team. We are better, but this is easily the biggest test early in the season that we have. And um, it's a must-watch. Unfortunately, I don't know why the hell they scheduled it, given all the other games that are on Sunday, 5 a.m. Eastern time. <laughs> I, I don't know why they did that. It's by far the best game on that day. But if you can wake up, please wake up. That game is probably going to be a banger. It's away from home, and it's going to be a huge test. Talked about it way too long, but I really like Levante. I think they're really good. After that, we face PSG next uh, the Thursday after after um what what's what's this pardon me wednesday after what's this thursday october 26th and then we face sevilla who are nearly as good as levante but are always dangerous offensively via real then barca so look it just keeps sporting well at chelsea 
we we've we've gotten through kind of the part of the campaign where we've eased ourselves into things and then it's just tough game after tough game so yeah we better hope we, the, the team is as good as we think they are right now because test after test is coming and uh, we, we need to be ready if we want to get out of this this champions league group all right enough talking done tripping over my words all good grant ready to end oh yeah let's do it all right apologize for uh i i know i i kind of botched it with some of my uh sentencing and whatnot but uh you guys you guys can can live with it for for today with my tired ass all right we will see all of you later on thursday evening probably when we we try to record a podcast on the champions league game until then ala madrid and, and thank you for listening ala madrid sports social podcast network lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office more than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.